Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Malani. Thank you, Mr. Chief Executive, for such a warm introduction. What proportion of women in tech end up quitting their jobs? What makes them quit? How can companies stop them? Good morning, ladies, gentlemen and gender neutral. It is a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you today about the cost of inadequate communication and resulting impact it may be having on gender diversity in your workplace. Now you may be thinking, we've got women everywhere. This doesn't apply to our company. Look around the room. Of the 20 executives here, what proportion of them are women? If they're not here, where have they gone? Now, have I made you sufficiently uncomfortable? Good. Let's explore what might be happening and leave you with a productive solution with which to move forwards. Before doing so, may I note that I'm happy to answer questions throughout. However, I ask that you please hold the question until I finish the point I'm making. It's often the case that I've answered the question before finishing the point or the slide. So, what do you estimate is the proportion of women in tech who end up quitting? Welcome to Connected Communication, listener. You've just heard me open a talk or presentation using the techniques I'm going to share in today's episode. How to introduce a talk or a presentation. Now, depending on the type of presentation, the type of talk, some of these techniques will apply, some of them will need to be adapted or changed. This is the nature of communication. Nothing is concrete. As you will have heard me say before, if you've listened to the podcast, if not, welcome. I hope you'll enjoy the episodes you're going to hear. Everything is relative to the situation, the engagement, the culture, the person, the relationship, the job, etc., etc., the language. The topic of the talk I introduced was the cost of inadequate communication and the resulting impact it may have on gender diversity in workplaces. Companies still, well, maybe they have an awareness of the cost of poor communication to them, Yet, in 2018, over 60% of them didn't have a long-term communication strategy. And when we think of costs of communication, a 2011 study by David Grossman and Deborah Hamilton, titled The Cost of Poor Communication, found that companies with 100,000 employees had a cost of about $62.4 billion annually because of miscommunication or inadequate communication to and between employees. Fast forward to a poll taken by the Harris Poll and Grammarly in 2023, which found that the estimated cost of poor communication for US companies is 1.2 trillion a year. And that one in five business leaders reported losing business because of communication issues. And this is reported by Marketing Dive. It's a preventable cost, this. COVID made communication skills 
the next competitive advantage. Online and face-to-face are equally now as important as we've come out of our lockdowns and have been able to meet, present and connect with each other again. There's now this whole hybrid approach. Presentations, negotiations and company tours are increasingly online. They're being taken through 360 degree visuals. This increases the importance of structure and clarity. Frameworks for presentations. Specific signposting phrases that allow complex slides to be broken down and calmed for the minds of the audience, the people who are paying attention. Face-to-face, as I say, we're back face-to-face. When people have got used to doing everything online, there's an increased fear of going back into business networking, presenting face-to-face again, standing up, not in pyjama bottoms, actually in a pair of trousers or a skirt or whatever it is a person might wear, and presenting to a group of people. Now, one of the most important aspects of a talk or a presentation is its opening. How you open makes all the difference, not only to your audience, but to your own confidence in speaking success. So how do you do it? Just like when you're at a networking event or you're going on a date for the first time, first impressions matter. Set up your space. Go in before if you can or talk to people in advance before you're going to present. Think about the room, the chairs, the background what you're facing, what people are facing, if they're microphones, do you need hybrid options? If if you're going to be totally inclusive, the best thing is that if you have people dialing in online, you have a laptop for every person in the room at the table. How are your slides going to be seen? Where are people going to be able to see them from? Do they need to be bigger or smaller? The space is really important. It's like physical evidence in marketing. This, the services marketing piece, that ambiance that you create when people come into a room. I used to, when I was an English teacher, put scented bags of uh, a scented essential oil on the radiators before my students came to class to help keep them feel, feeling calm. My granddad, I think, influenced my understanding of setting up a space When he worked for Cadbury's, he used to travel around as a salesman. You can read a bit more of this story on my LinkedIn articles, the Connected Communication newsletter. But he he used to always tell me this story as a traveling salesman and rep. He would go around to different shops and different shop owners and display the chocolate in the stores. One day he had this idea that putting a display case beside the cash register would be a good idea because people would buy on impulse. So he took the idea to Cadbury's in Ireland. His boss loved the idea. And then they needed to present it to supermarkets to try and get it in there. So they went to Fergal Quinn of Super Quinn, one of the most famous business owners in Ireland. He agreed to having a meeting with his store owners, although he wasn't too sold on the idea. People won't buy chocolate on impulse, he said. But Grandad, with his merchandising skills and training, said to his boss before he went to the meeting, set up the room. Bring a different bar of chocolate for every single person who's going to be in it 
and put it on the table. But don't tell them that you've done it. Don't let them see that you did it. And that's what got them the deal. They left the bar of chocolate on the table. They didn't say anything about it. And in the middle of the presentation, they asked everybody to look down. What happened? Well, everybody had eaten their chocolate bar, hadn't they? But they didn't realise they were doing it. First impressions work the same way. They're an unconscious impression. They work from a bias. It's automatic and instant. The better a first impression you can make in a presentation, the more malleable the audience will be in your hand. In other words, putty in your hands. Flexible. You can shape them and move them. Not in manipulative ways, I don't mean, but I mean in good positive ways. Two, understand your audience as best possible in advance. Grandad understood that his audience would eat the chocolate. He knew at some point in the meeting they'd get peckish or frustrated and they'd just pick it up subconsciously. Ask yourself questions like, who are they? What types of people are they? How do they like to receive information? How might they feel about the talk or the topic? What do they know already? Do we have some experts in the room? And what can I do to make them feel better about it? Or make them feel a little bit uncomfortable? Just like I did in the opening of the presentation at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, you definitely need to be confident and sure of what you're going to present when you make a group of, in this case, the, the, imagining, the, the imagined idea is that it's a group of mostly men. And I made them feel a little bit sweaty by recognizing that they weren't surrounded by women. But by creating that focus, that awareness, I can then bring them towards a feeling of reward so that they understand what to do and how to feel better about it. Number three, focus on your first two lines. They tell your audience how to feel. You can give them something to be excited about at the beginning or a task that you might ask for random feedback on at the end. You may notice that I didn't give you the statistic at the beginning of the podcast. I left you wanting it. Hopefully you've stayed listening and you haven't paused me and gone to Google to find it out because you couldn't wait. What was the impact of me asking the question about the statistic, making the, the audience feel uncomfortable in their seats? Number four, get their emotional buy-in. Through your passion, through a sense of discomfort, through something that makes them either a challenge or question or agree with or feel good about what you've said. By relating your key takeaway to an impact on their lives, you can give them a vision. Make the topic relevant to their lives or their pockets. If they're executives in an organization, bottom line is going to be really important. You can also do it by, if you're online, Asking them how to tell you to keep them engaged. What do you need from me? Do you need to stand up in the middle of the presentation? Do you need to look away from the screen for a moment? Hooks are great. They can be dangerous, but they're great. There are many different ways that you can hook an audience. You can use rhetoric. You can use metaphor. Participation like sounds or feelings. 
So I'm going to give you one of my secret sound feeling tricks in a moment. You can tell them a story about how the topic affected you, how it helped you improve, maybe a challenge that it gave you and then what you did to solve it. You can make an interesting or shocking or bold statement. If you have experts in the room, it's often fun to challenge their previously held knowledge with a fact. Did you know that 56% of women in tech roles end up quitting their jobs? If you thought that statistic was higher or lower, or if you're someone who doesn't yet trust me, you're probably going to go and need to look that up. You can check the links in the show notes and find where I got the information from. It's from a 2020 Talent Works article. In with the hook, always back up your data. It's very important, especially if you want to be credible to an audience. And before I move on, I told you I'd share a little sounds and feelings participation trick that I love to use. I'm a bit of a one for trying different things in presentations and when I give talks. In, inside my Phenomenal Presenters Masterclasses, actually, I share a story about almost collapsing in front of an audience one day because I tried something, a new trick. I would do it again, maybe under different circumstances, but I'm not sharing that one with you now. The sounds, feelings, participation technique that I use is what I call a heat test on an audience. What you do with a heat test is you want to gauge their feelings about something what they think, what they feel, whether whether they like it or dislike it. So for instance, say you are talking to a group of people about ChatGPT and AI. You want to gauge the feelings in the room about ChatGPT. How do people feel about it? Now, you need to be careful of this because your audience needs to know who Hannibal Lecter is and that sound that he made in the movie. Silence of the Lambs. So if you're listening to this and you don't know, I, I don't want to freak you out here too much or anything, but very briefly, Hannibal Lecter was a character in a movie called Silence of the Lambs who was a, a cannibal and was interviewed by a detective throughout the movie, Clarice, whom he grew to be quite fond of, but probably mostly because he wanted to put her on a plate. And he'd make this sound... <laughs> which was really freaky, but it really got under the skin of the, the viewer of the movie. So I use this in presentations, kind of to, to freak my audience out a little bit, but to, to also make things quite visceral. And then you have the like sound, mmm, or ugh, you can do this either way. What you do is say to the audience, okay, we're going to talk about ChatGPT today. I know there are mixed feelings about ChatGPT, so I'd like to get a bit of an idea about how you feel about AI and ChatGPT before we talk about it. But I'm not going to ask you to start shouting words at me. We're going to do this a little bit differently. In a moment, I'm going to ask the question, how do you feel about ChatGPT? If you like it, I'd like you to make the Hannibal Lecter... <laughs> I'm pausing here because generally when I do that, the audience freaks out a little bit and they get shivery or they have a giggle. 
If you dislike it, I'd like you to say, okay, we got it. What's the sound to say if you, if you like it? All right, we got it, we got it, we got it. Um, what's the sound if you dislike it? Ugh. All right, okay, let's do it. And then I'll ask the question. Now, do be careful of the audience that you use it with, because if they don't know the movie and they don't know Hannibal Lecter, it's not going to have the same impact. I actually did it with an audience that was in Ireland, in Dublin, not too long ago. But and some of them didn't actually know the movie and it didn't go down as well as I'd have liked it to go. So I had to go into a bit of explanation. Yeah, these things happen. Number six, introduce yourself briefly. As you'll have heard at the beginning, I thanked the chief executive for introducing me. So in this case, you imagine that I have been introduced already to the group by somebody. But if your audience doesn't know you, then you just give a short introduction to yourself. They'll get to know you as you speak. So a brief I am, I do is enough. Some people go into two minutes, two and a half, three minutes of introducing themselves and then they're gone. You've lost them. Next, introduce your talk. If possible, relate it back to your opening. Be very clear on your opening. Be very mindful of jokes, of cultural references. Like I said, with that uh, cultural reference there with the movie. If you don't know your audience, you could alienate them completely or worse insult them with the reference that you use. So I recommend, even though I've given you an example of using a movie at, at the beginning as an opener, don't choose cultural TV shows, uh, movies, even songs. I did a song with a, an advanced class one day years ago. Uh, what was it? Working nine to five. And in my mind, everybody knows working nine to five. So I thought, ah, oh, they love this. They're early 20s to mid 20s they're all working as well as studying they they love the fact that they can complain about working nine to five ah oh, it fell flat nobody knew the song and me all excited had made this fabulous lesson you win some you lose some so be mindful of jokes and cultural references number eight remind them of the relevance of the topic to them in the introduction I got the men to look around the room after they had potentially been thinking, we've got loads of women in our company, to then realise that there weren't enough women in the room with them, sitting beside them. And then commented on the fact that we could find a productive solution with which to move forwards. So it's relevant to them. There aren't enough women in the room, but we're going to find an answer. Make sure that they're aware of that relevant solution and that you're going to find it for them. Number nine, advise how and when you will address questions. Now, this is important for managing hecklers and know-it-alls in your audience. It's quite surprising how few speakers are aware of the need to address questions before they speak. They, they just sort of leave it open and see what happens during the presentation. But that leaves it as a, a free-for-all. If you haven't had the introduction, the person who introduced you, address the topic of questions, then you need to do it. And sometimes you need to expect to be interrupted. Listen to last week's episode for an example. When you're presenting to executives, if you're pitching for a lot of money, 
people might just stop you and say, well, let me stop you there. I have questions. I'm already at the end of your presentation. Now, other times, big voices in a room might want to overpower you. Conviction in your voice, belief in your content and capacity to deliver it, and strategic phraseology can cast a spell that commands attention, respectfully, sometimes playfully, but with absolute clarity. Now, you heard me do it at the beginning. To give you an example again, you can say things like, and before I say this, remember that across cultures, this is different. I'm going to sound quite polite here. And as you'll see, if you follow me on Facebook, christine.community, I... (laughs) I posted a reel last week or the week before, which got a lot of heat because of the overly polite way that I suggested people should communicate. And this is my culture of communication. It's my background. Many other cultures of communication use the same type of polite phraseology. But many don't. So just be mindful of the, the most important voices in the room that you need to communicate to. You might want to adjust this phrasing slightly. But the strategy in it and the, the, the cleverness, I suppose, is that you, you inform them of the reason why you're asking them to wait. By informing of the, them of the reason why you're asking them to wait, you dampen possibly their status need to want to interrupt you anyway. So if it's a big voice and they really want to speak, by saying... For example, I may very well address your question before finishing. You're actually answering their brain saying, I'll ask you a question if I want to ask you a question. So you can say things like, I'm happy to answer your questions throughout. Could you please hold the question until after I finish the point? I may very well address your question before finishing. Or... Given that your time is limited and precious, or given that our time together today is limited, may I ask that you keep all questions until the end? I'll be leaving 10 minutes to answer them, and I may even have answered them before the end of the presentation. If you'd like a PDF with some of these signposting phrases, strategic phrases for introducing a presentation, please get in touch with me on one of my social media channels. And I'll happily send you one. So there you have it, listeners. Nine things to consider when you're preparing to introduce a presentation or a talk. And this is an example of some of the deeper work I do with my private clients. Inside the Phenomenal Presenters Masterclasses, there are elements of presentation skills and techniques. I haven't added all of the content yet. As a private client, you get access to my private client vault which does have all of this content. If presenting, speaking and pitching is something you do on a regular basis, but you're not seeing the engagement you want, if you're on the way to being one of the 56% because you're not progressing the way you want, or if you just want to hook, line and sync audiences more easily, find me on Instagram at connected underscore communication underscore is that little dash line that you press on the bottom. You can check the show notes. Find me there or on any of the links in the show notes and put these tips into practice by introducing yourself. As always, 
Thanks for listening. Please follow, share, star and subscribe. A review goes a lot further than you might realise. Until next week, Banati Agus Buyakas. Thank you.